0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Micah, chapter 3. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, we rejoice that you are faithful and kind and loving in the face of tremendous rebellion and sin and injustice amongst those that you've created. We ask that you'd help us to recognize the greatness of your character, the weakness of our character, and your call in our lives to display what we could never do of our own accord, but you can do through your spirit. You can display your character in us and through us for your glory. We ask that you would help us, that that would be so, in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine a doctor diagnoses you with a cancerous tumor on your kidney. He shows you the test results. He shows you the images. He starts to walk you through the process. He demonstrates consideration. He demonstrates tenderness. He explains that the choice for treatment is completely at your discretion. And he understands that if you choose a different course than he is recommending, then that would be completely your choice. But he also tells you that the course of treatment that he's recommending is the one that he would recommend to his family members. And that he himself would partake of. The day of the surgery is here. You're all prepped for surgery. He gives you one last visit, telling you he is going to do everything within his power to give you the best care possible. He assures you that his staff is competent beyond measure and that they are going to do their best to, to get the job done. While you're under general anesthesia, He takes out your kidney as discussed and a piece of your liver which had not been discussed. You're in the recovery room. He enters into this room with an exhausted but cheerful look in his face and he tells you I was able to get it all. It was all contained. There is no sign of future trouble. I'll keep a close eye on you with Routine biannual visits. Sounds like a success story. It sounds very assuring. It sounds, sounds like great care. In this theoretical experience, all while this is going on, this shyster has done this to numerous other patients. Using the same test results and the same Images. He has swindled countless patients into providing for him kidneys and portions of liver that he was able to sell to unsuspecting people. These folks couldn't get a kidney transplant or a liver transplant through the various normal channels. They didn't qualify for one reason or another. My understanding, just so you know, is that on the black market, a kidney goes for about $350,000. It's pretty good money. Under the guise of caring for the needs of the first patient whom he takes organs from, and under the guise of caring for the patient that needs an organ, he has made himself some pretty sweet revenue streams all while pretending to care. The one has been swindled out of body parts. The other has been swindled out of money. It would be terrible to entrust yourself to a doctor that only cared about what he could extract from you. It would be terrible if they thought that you were just a piece of merchandise or a slab of meat, through which they could extort what they wanted. This is the type of setting, it's the type of thing, that goes on in a society that has injustice reigning supremely. And it really is the type of environment that Micah is dealing with. As we start to read through this third chapter, he paints a very vivid picture of some grave injustice. It's not small injustice. It's not slap on the wrist kind of injustice. It's it's devastating kind of injustice. What kind of justice would you want to be poured out against this supposed doctor that I prescribed or I described? Would you want him to have a a million dollar fine, would that, would that get the job done? Would you want him to simply lose his license? Does that make up for the millions he swindled or the organs he's stolen? It's an interesting thing, folks. People want justice when someone does something to them but they don't really like the thought of justice when they're involved, when they've done something wrong. They don't really want justice then. We'd much rather have everything be happy and easy and no rules. No rules work in my favor when I'm the one that's violating the rules. But if the rules keep other people from violating me, now I start to think the rules may seem to be kind of good. But we live in a world that doesn't treasure rules and justice, yet when their rights are infringed upon, they would cry out for what? Justice. So I ask you this question, and I think the text will ask us this question, at least in general. Do you want justice? Do you want justice? Do you want to be treated rightly? In chapter 3 of Micah, Micah is speaking of the injustice of the nation. In verses 1 through 4, he condemns the injustice of the Justice Department of Israel. In verses 5 through 7, he condemns the injustice of the prophets. Then in verses 9 through 12, he condemns the injustice of the entire leadership. And so this this is what we'll see. Let's take a look beginning in verse 1 of Micah chapter 3. And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones, and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Now we're going to keep reading in just a moment, but I don't think he's speaking literally at this point. I think he's speaking very figuratively, right? He's saying, you are mistreating people to the point. It's if you just think that there's something you you can slice them down. It's like an animal. You can, you can take the skin off of an animal and take its meat and, and cook it and eat it. You can cut it up in chunks so that you can have something to nourish your family. But the problem is, the Justice Department in Israel was treating the people of Israel like this. Well, what's the consequence? Verse four. "Then they, the heads of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel, then they will cry to the Lord. What does it say? But he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time. Because they have been evil in their deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets. Who make my people stray. Who chant peace when they chew with their teeth. But who prepare war against him. Who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore... You shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers uh, shall, or seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall cover; they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all in, uh, all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord. Yet they lean on the Lord and they say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins. And the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Well, there's a sunshiny message for you. But listen, when injustice reigns supremely, do you want a sunshiny message? Do you want the people who are being manipulative, who are extracting everything that they can get out of you, who treat people uh, unjustly time and again for their own benefit, do you want them to get a sunshiny message? Do you think the people of Israel wanted their rulers to get a sunshiny message? I don't think they would want that. What we notice, first of all, is that there was the injustice in the legal system contradicts the justice of God. Injustice in the legal system contradicts the justice of God. It's important to, to understand this. When we, when we read something of this magnitude and depth and, and darkness and heaviness, we have to see it in light of, of who our God is, and it, it speaks everything opposite of who He is. What's going on in Israel back in Micah's day, surrounding it, before it, during it, and after it, is this kind of injustice. We're familiar with the passage in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. It says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That is a, a proverb. That, that lasts across every age. It's just truth. Righteousness exalts a nation. When when people allow the character of God to shine in them and through them, there's, there's reason for God to preserve them. Why? Because His presence is radiating through them, and His dominion is operating among them. So He exalts that nation. But when that righteousness goes away, and sin becomes the rule of the day, and injustice reigns supremely something different altogether takes place a crooked view of good and evil perverts justice that's what we notice in these first few verses he says at the end of verse uh, beginning of verse two end of verse one is not uh, is it not for you to know justice shouldn't you judicial system legal system shouldn't you know justice shouldn't you know what's right and wrong Shouldn't you know how people that, that are doing the right thing should be protected? Think people that are doing the wrong thing should be punished? Don't you know this? But at the beginning of verse 2, he says, what does he tell them? He says, you hate good. And you love evil. It's perverted. It's crooked. Well, Isaiah said the same thing in Isaiah 5 and verse 20. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When everything is upside down, nothing functions correctly. Like, just try it sometime. Try to hang upside down in a tree. See how long you last. All the blood rushes to your head. You can't function very well for a long time unless you're like a, a specific, like a bat that hangs upside down. They can deal, deal with that. That's, it's, they're designed that way. You, on the other hand, are not. When things are upside down from where they're supposed to be, they don't function properly. And when we view good things as evil and evil things as good, it's not going to last long. Now listen, just just ask yourself the question. Look around the society today. Is good celebrated? Sometimes, some some things, you know, if some good Samaritan does some good thing. Of course, yes, there, there's an acknowledgement of, of that kind of good, moral, uh, Kindness that can be celebrated, but as a you know, as a general rule, you look at society; they're not celebrating real goodness, and they hold up as good that which is evil, celebrating that which God has condemned. Think about that; celebrating it that, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty um, contradictory. What are leaders supposed to be for? You see, we're talking about leaders in these these verses. What are leaders supposed to be for? Well, there are governmental leaders, right? And then there are spiritual leaders. Well, I'm going to just have on the screen behind me two, two passages. One about governmental leaders and what they're supposed to do. One about spiritual leaders and what they're supposed to do. And just help us to understand what the real condemnation is in these passages because they're doing the opposite of it. Governmental leaders... Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. You will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. He's for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. In other words, the government God has ordained and the reason he's ordained it is to protect people that are being hurt in Micah chapter 3. That's what government's for, to protect them. And not to celebrate the ones who are taking advantage of them. The ones who are taking advantage of them are the ones that should be condemned so that those that are being taken advantage of can be lifted up. That's what government is supposed to do. Unfortunately, the opposite takes place. That's what's going on in Micah's day and I don't think we're a whole lot different in our day and age. Do you? Yeah, I don't think so. How about spiritual leaders? What are they for? In Hebrews 13 and verse 7, God's word says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you don't don't let their care of you be uh, burdensome because it doesn't advantage you it doesn't advantage them either but what is the spiritual leader supposed to be considering? your soul what's happening in Micah's day considering my own soul, except not spiritually. Just, how do I feel? What do I want? What will make me feel better? What will satisfy me more? That's what's going on in the leaders of Micah's day. This is why it's so uh, condemning. The wicked leadership of Micah's day had led the people to the point of moral decay and spiritual ineptitude. I want you to think about this, because I want to turn now to Ezekiel 22, which is in the similar time frame. It's not the exact same time, but it's, it's some of the same symptoms that are going on a little bit later than Micah's time. Look at Ezekiel 22. And what I want for you to notice is what we're going to read here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 22 takes place 700 years before Christ. And I say that term 700 as an approximation. Approximately 700 years before Christ, this is what we read about the society of Israel in Ezekiel's day. Ezekiel 22, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Now, Son of Man, will you judge? Will you judge the, what does it say? Bloody city? Yes, show her all her abominations. Then say, Thus says the Lord. The city sheds blood in her own midst, that her time may come, and she makes idols within herself to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood which you have shed, and have defiled yourself with the idols which you have made. You have caused your days to draw near, and have come to the end of your years. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations, and a mockery to all countries." similar stuff happening in Ezekiel's day. Look down at verse 6. It gets very specific because Micah is very general in in what he writes in Micah 3. He just says, you're you're flaying your people. You're stealing their skin. You're chopping them in chunks. You're not considering them. He doesn't say what it is like. Ezekiel takes it and he kind of unfolds it. This this is what it looks like. This is what this flaying of skin looks like. Verse 6. Look, the princes of Israel, each one has used his power to shed blood in you. In you they have made light of father and mother. In your midst they have oppressed the stranger. In you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. In you are men who slander to cause bloodshed. In you are those who eat on the mountains. In your midst they commit lewdness. In you men uncover their father's nakedness. In you they violate women who are set apart during their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister and his father's daughter. In you they take bribes to shed blood. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me. Says the Lord God. This is what's going on in Micah's day. And and the leaders are told by Micah, You think that you're doing justice here? You're loving evil and hating good. And then then you're gonna call upon me? And you think I'm gonna, gonna come and do what you want? There's a real problem here. Seven hundred years before Christ. Now I want you to fast forward to 100 years after Christ. Approximately. About 50 years after Christ. But it's the, again, ballparking it. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It's a passage of scripture you'll be familiar with. And I'm just going to read through it. I am not going to spend a whole lot of time diving into any particular section. Other than just to say, this is what he's condemning in 50 A.D. 50 A.D. It'll sound similar to what God was condemning in Ezekiel 22, 700 years before Christ. Verse 18 of Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead So that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and beasts and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchange the truth of God for the lie, and worship worshipped and serve the Creator rather excuse me, worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever, Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, Deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them listen did he he didn't leave much out did he 700 years before Christ 100 years after Christ what about today what about today 2000 years after Christ same scene same corruption same wickedness, same injustice, same sinfulness. What's the point? There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun, friends. So what we're reading in Micah, we could read the same thing today. Now, that leads us to a, a quick question. I'll try to address it quickly. Is there a difference between America and Israel, Old Testament Israel and America? Is there a difference? Well, I'd say from the standpoint of rebellion and sinfulness, no. No, no no difference. Uh, what about from the standpoint of a relationship to God? Is there a difference there? I'd say yes. I'd say an absolute yes. Israel was God's people. America is never said to be God's people. Never said to be God's people. So it's not an exact parallel. We're not saying, you know, everything that's going on in America is because... America is the new Israel, or anything along those lines. What we're saying is, the principle from Proverbs 14 still holds. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The same thing is going on. The same results. The same, nothing new under the sun. So, head back to Micah. Head back to Micah. When there is injustice in the legal system, it contradicts God's character. And that is not the design of God's creation. What is the design of God's creation? That would reflect His glory. That would reflect His character. That would reflect His nature. Because man was created... In the image of God. And was then, as a result of that, he was supposed to exercise dominion over what? The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the fowl of the sky, the the creeping things that creep upon the earth, all of these things. God says you're to have dominion over them. As I rule in you, and my character is reflected through you, these are the things that I want for my creation. Is that taking place in Micah 3? Negative. Is that taking place today? Negative. It certainly is not not, is not on the whole. What are the consequences of a society that allows injustice to rule the day? That's where verse 4 comes in. Micah 3 and verse 4. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. How many times, how many times have you heard people say, Ready? Where was God when Where was God when 9/ 11 took place? Where was God in the school shooting? Where was God in the base shooting? Where was God when my son was on a sick bed? Where was God when my father was on a sick bed? Where was God when my uncle died of cancer? Where was God time after time? Where was God? Where was God? Where was God? Listen, you don't want him, right? You don't want him? That's what society has said. We don't want you. Take his bonds. Take these bands. Take all of these restrictions. Take these burdens off of me. I don't want them. And then some of them realize they need him. Where is God? Well, I'll tell you. God has told them, listen, you you ignore me. You ignore me. I don't I am okay. Do you know that God's okay? I'm serious now. Do you know that God is alright without you? And without me? He's not a better God with me on board. And he's not a worse God with me off board. Sometimes people think that they, they really are that special. God is alright without us. Which makes his love and his mercy so remarkable. He could have just completely ignored us and we could have died in our sin because that's what we would have deserved. But despite the fact that we don't make him a better God, he says, I I want to take you. I want to take you. I want you for me. I'm going to take care of you from now and forevermore. This is what I want to do. It's just amazing. Where was God when? Listen to a couple of passages of Scripture. Isaiah 115, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. That's what's going on in Micah's day. In Proverbs 128, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but I will. They will not find me. This is talking about wisdom, right? Wisdom is coming out. You you don't want me, then I'm not going to appear to you. I'm not, not going to be there for you. Proverbs 21.13 Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. That's what's going on in Micah's day, isn't it? They're extracting, extracting from the poor. They're taking advantage of the powerless because they have the power. And because they have the power, they, they take advantage of them. And, and God says, when you cry out to me, what do you think? I'm going to come to your, I'm going to come running to your aid. This is interesting because we we have in the back of our mind some other elements about God's character. We'll talk about that. So don't. We're not going to dismiss that part of God's character. We're going to talk about the awesomeness of God's character in the face of our sin. Not only were the rulers of Israel being condemned for their injustice, but the prophets of Israel. Uh, we're operating unjustly, and therefore Micah turns his attention to them. So we, we move from the, the judicial system now to the prophetic system. Injustice among spiritual leadership contradicts the justice of God. We get the same concept, right? Contradicts the justice of God with the judicial leadership, the law. But now, when it comes to the prophets, when injustice reigns supreme among the prophets, what is that contradicting? very nature of God's justice we're contradicting God's character take a look at verses 5 and following thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray now what an interesting statement that is the prophets in their prophesying cause people to move away from God now here's Bible 101 folks when a prophet speaks, should they be pushing people away from God or drawing drawing them to him? Drawing, just, everyone knows this, but the prophet's no concern. What are they concerned about? Well, that's what we come to in the next part of verse 5. Who chant peace when they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. That is a very nifty word picture. You know what the, the nifty word picture is? When, when you come and you say, Hey, here, I, I have something for you. Peace! Peace be with you. Everything good is going to happen to you. There'll be no problems. Everything's good. But we go along and, You got something for me? No, we got nothing for you. Oh, let me tell you about the judgment that's coming your way. What is this prophet doing? He cares about his own belly, but again, I think that's more figurative. He's talking about greasing my palm. Give, give me something so I can take care of myself. And if you give me something that's good enough, I will prophesy good things for you. But if you don't give me anything, huh, look out, bad things are coming your way. So this this is, this is not prophetic ministry at all. Look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore, you shall have night and without vision. And you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets. And the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed. And the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips. In other words, like this. There's shame going on. Why? Hey, I'm going to the prophet. He's going to give me something. Hey, i got nothing for you. Remember, in... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's day. He's like, I had a dream. (laughs) He had a dream, and I'm not going to tell you what that dream is. I'm not going to tell you what that dream is. I'm going to require you to tell me the dream and the interpretation, because if I tell you the dream, you're just going to come up with something so you don't die. I I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation, and if you don't, cut off. Now, that might cause some panic, no? Well, these prophets... When they're called to task and they got nothing for you, shame will cover. Look what it says at the end of verse 7 For there is no answer from God. What's a pharmacist without drugs? Just a person, right? What's a mechanic without tools? What are they going to do? What's a prophet without revelation from God? Nothing, which is exactly what we read in our responsive reading earlier. Take a look, please, at Jeremiah 23. And we can't read all that we read already, so I really have to just kind of cut in and out in a few places. In Jeremiah 23, verse 9, Jeremiah is saying, My heart within me is broken. Why? Because of the prophets. What's the problem? They're leading God's people astray, essentially. They're leading God's people astray. Verse 11, For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness. So we've got real problems going on. Verse 13, I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to err, to go into error. Look at verse 21. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, what would be the next logical consequence? And had caused my people to hear my words, what would be the next logical consequence? Then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Am I a God near at hand says the Lord and not a God afar off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth says the Lord. Listen carefully to verse 25. Listen you, you, you have this thought I want to tell people about God's word. Yes you should. You should. But I want you to do so with verse 25 in the back of your mind. I have heard what the prophets have said. I want you to keep that ever at the forefront of your mind. You're a Sunday school teacher, you're an Awana leader, you're a, a pulpiteer, or you're just an average Joe going out and bringing the gospel with you. I heard what the prophets have said. God will use his word. He will. We're going to see that in just a second but don't misrepresent him with his word that is not a condemning statement that is a an awe reverence statement don't misrepresent god don't tell them only one portion of his character tell them who he is tell them who he is it's heavy treading but just like every other passage in scripture this heaviness because it's pointing us to our failure. It is also pointing us to our need and it's pointing us to the just one who never fails and doesn't operate like these who are being condemned here. I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name saying I have dreamed I have dreamed how long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies. Indeed they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal the prophets who have the prophet who has a dream let him tell a dream and he who has my word let him speak my word how faithfully what is the chaff to the wheat says the Lord is not my word like a fire says the Lord and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces verse 30 6. Just the first phrase here, first sentence. And the oracle of the Lord you shall mention no more. What do you mean? Well, I'm trying to bring us back in our understanding to Micah. These prophets are prophesying just for their own whims to, to please themselves and God says, you'll have no answer from God. Don't tell people you have a word from God. You've got no word from God. That's what the prophets are saying. But I want to ask you a question. Has God left his church without an answer? Has God left his church without an answer? Are we without a word from God? There should never be a a day that you think, man, I've I've been looking for a word from God. What do you mean? What do you mean? There it is. You have all he wants you to have. And friends, if you know him, you know it's enough. You know he doesn't leave us short of what we need. He's given us all that is necessary for life and godliness. He's given it to us, but he, he's spoken it so we would see someone. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Listen, God has not left us without a word. The prophets, they're unjust. They have nothing to offer. God says, I've got nothing for you. But that's not true for us. We have the word. We have the word about Christ, which is why Paul says to the Colossian church in Colossians 1 to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we might present every man or everyone mature in Christ why Paul told Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead at, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach. Preach what? The preach the word. Whose word? God's word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. I read it from a different version than you have there because that's how I have it memorized. Injustice in the legal system, contradicts God's character, injustice in the prophetic or religious system, contradicts God's character. Thirdly, injustice in the political system, which is not too far removed from the first one, contradicts the justice of God. Now, we're just going to look at this briefly, and we're back in Micah chapter 3. You were there, correct? I haven't had you turn away, did I? Good. Look at verses 9 through 12. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. One commentator, really well said, really broke this down into like the three branches of government. And all three branches of government betrayed the people. For what? For what? for money. It's terrible. It's horrible. Yet, they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. We're God's people. Therefore, because of you, because of you rulers, because of you heads, because of you who abhor justice and pervert equity, because of you who are the priests and the prophets, because of you Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins. And the mountain of the temple. Like the bare hills of the forest. These are heavy words. But this corrupt system. They had confidence that God would take care of them. But when everything that they do. Is a contradiction of who God is. Don't you think God will provide a corrective? God will provide a corrective. God's people will display his character. Not contradict it. So Micah as he foretold of the judgment against the judicial system and the prophets, now foretells of the judgment against the whole political system which impacts the entire nation. So, essentially he's telling about the Babylonian captivity in 586. You think, well, God is love. He is. Nothing bad will happen to us because God is love. All right. But their sons and daughters were taken away. Daniel and his friends no parents around. Hanging out in Babylon. Having a great time, right? No. Everything's different. They had, to, they had to beg so that they could get the kind of food that they needed so that they wouldn't violate their conscience. This is not good. This is bad news. This is judgment. Why? Because when people say, I don't care what you have to say. I don't care about who you are. I don't care about your standards. God God doesn't just leave that undone. So we look at our last point for this morning. God does not leave injustice unaddressed. God does not leave injustice unaddressed. Well, we could see it in verses 9 through 12, but I really want to notice verse 8. He says, but truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. And I am full of justice. And I am full of might. To do what? to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. You see, there's actually a contrast between 5, 6, and 7. These prophets, they're about them and they get no word from God. But I am full of the Spirit of the Lord and I am full of justice and I am full of might to tell you what you need to hear. Listen, the worst thing in the world the worst thing in the world would be to be separated from God to be controlled by sin and passion and to not know it. And to not know what that means. And to not know the dire consequences of being separated from God. What that means eternally. Is it good or bad? Is it good or bad that Micah is filled with the power of the Spirit of the Lord, and justice and might, to declare, to tell them, listen, this is wrong. Is that good or bad? It's, it's good. It's good. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, and verse 13, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain what? Mercy. You don't know you need mercy until you see that you're a sinner. And here's what Mike is doing. God is is condemning your judgment, your, your judicial system. God is condemning your prophetic way. God is condemning your political way. This Everything is upside down. It doesn't work this way. He's declaring to them their sin. This is good. What happens when we recognize our sin? What happens when we realize we're lost? Well, then we can be found. What what happens when we realize we're in darkness? Well, we can realize that there must be light. What happens when we think we're in peril? There there must be some form of rescue. Well, in your Sunday school readings over the last period of time, you've been reading about different kings, right? One of which was Manasseh. Manasseh, what a wicked king. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And and he really promoted evil all throughout the land. and, And Israel was just as corrupt as they could be. Manasseh. And God sends the Assyrians and grabs him by the the nose with some hooks and leads him off into Babylon. And there he says, oh, oh. And you know what Manasseh did? He said, God, I don't understand why I have forgotten you, neglected you, set up altars to other gods and worshipped other gods. I... Repent. How'd that happen? Because he felt a tinge of God's justice. And it was through that tinge of God's justice that he saw the bl- glorious beauty of God's love. Think about this, friends. God does not allow sinfulness to flow endlessly without remedy. Pure justice, listen carefully, pure justice without love would result in Universal, eternal punishment. Pure justice combined with love results in what we see on the cross. Where the Bible says this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, listen carefully, the just for the unjust. That's me, this guy. Unjust. You want justice? Justice demands the payment for my sin. How does a person pay for their sin? Eternity in the lake of fire. That's how you pay for your sin. But God says, I have have something for you. I have something for you. I will put my just son on a cross for you, the unjust. That he might bring you to me. This friends is where pure justice. Meets unending love. God didn't just say hey I forgive you. He says there's a cost for sin. It must be paid. My justice demands it. So he paid it. There's a day coming. Mikey will speak about it. We'll talk about it next week. When all the injustices will be rectified, justice will reign supreme because Jesus will reign supreme. But what about right now? Is it your fault that the society is the way it is? Is it your fault that people kill babies every single day? Is it, is it your fault that right now we celebrate as a society, we celebrate what God condemns? Is it your fault? No. What should God's people do? How do we respond to a message from Micah chapter 3? As God's people, we are to demonstrate God's justice in the sphere of influence that he's given us. And it doesn't have to be big and radical things. I submit to you that we apply a passage like this to our daily lives is by understanding our nature as those who care more for our own comforts than for those nearby we want our agenda accomplished rather than what's beneficial to others a passage like this if we really want to to be those that reflect God's character and, and, and equity going forth from our lives it, it, it takes place in our homes right and it takes place in the church right and it takes place at the work workplace right and so we see passages in the new testament like this in philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 where the bible says do nothing nothing not one thing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others in romans 15 we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Listen, we read these verses. We know these, You know these verses, right? These are familiar. You look at them, and what I want to tell you is doing that is absolutely and utterly impossible. You are not going to spend every waking moment of your life caring for other people's interests more than your own. Look at Micah. Look at the, 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 the devastation going on there and say, okay, that's, that's like out there and that's like extreme. And just say, those same symptoms are right here in this guy. Those same symptoms. I'm for me. I know what I want. I know how to get it. And most of the time I'm going to get it, right? That is injustice. That thinking in us is injustice. And God wants us in these areas in our homes, in the church, at, in, at work, wherever we are, to start to understand that you can't do this without me. God has given us his presence. Yes, you've trusted Christ. He's given you his spirit. His presence is with you. And what he wants from his presence is that his character would be on display. And so that rather than seeking our own will and our own desires and our own affections, we are to seek his will, his desires, and his affections. And, and that comes through in these areas, like Philippians chapter 2, where he says, consider other people before yourself. You can't do that unless the spirit reigns supreme in your life. You'll struggle just like the people of Micah's day, just like the people next door to you who don't have Christ. You will struggle just the same. You and I, we're not better than anybody else. We're not. Not even a lick unless we're surrendered to the Spirit. And when the Spirit rules in us, guess what? Divine. The impossible becomes possible. And then, friends, in our homes, justice reigns. In the church, justice reigns. In the workplace, justice From so far as our ability, justice reigns. And God's character, instead of being contradicted, is put on display. That's our job. Yes? It's our job to display his character. It comes through in these areas. Let's pray together. Father, we need you and we want you. We want you to do this work in us, that we might display your character. That justice in our lives, in our families, in in this church, and where we're able to outside, that justice would be seen and your character would be displayed. Use us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.